Hey, um, today I want to start our time in the Word a little bit differently. Usually I like to kind of orient us to the passage we're going to be looking at and then take some time to read the passage and then pray and thank God for His Word. I do still want to thank God for His Word and ask that He would guide us as we go into His Word. But before we do, I want to take a moment for us as a congregation just to pray together, to, to actually um, to pay attention to things that are going on in our world and, and to, to think about how God is calling us to be a light to the darkness in this world. If you've been following the news, there's lots going on around the world, certainly internationally, as, as the U.S. interacts with countries around the world, but, but specifically here within our own country. In the last few days, there's been some pretty uh, horrific things going on in our very own world. A very clear evidence of the darkness that's in this world and the contrast that we can identify in bringing the message of Christ into the darkness. You may be aware of the things that are happening right now in Charlottesville, Virginia, and the protests that are going on, and the representation of evil that's going on in the midst of those protests. You know, we, we truly believe as, as followers of Christ that God has created every human being in the image of God. Every one of us. We look around the room, no matter how many differences we notice, we recognize that we have all been created in the image of God in some manner, in some way. And so as we gather around the word of God, we acknowledge that. But we also we pray that God would allow us to be a light in the darkness, to pray against uh, the evil one, Satan's work in this world, to, to distract, to, to pull people away from the good news of Jesus Christ, to use what's going on in these protests to, to cultivate Satan's plan against God's plan, which we already know that, that God is victorious. He's already won, but putting out these skirmishes is part of what God's people do. And so I want to pray. And I don't want you to necessarily feel like you need to follow along with the words that I'm praying. If you feel called to pray in the quietness of your own heart in a different way, I would encourage you to do that. But, but can we pray with a focus around acknowledging that, that God has created all of us in his image. And we want to honor that truth. And not just in the quietness of our own hearts and our own beliefs, but in the, the words and the deeds that we live out throughout our week. As we talk about the situation going on down in Charlottesville with our neighbors or our family members, may we be a light in the darkness. May, 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 may we be a light in such a way that, that they see our good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. So let's pray. Let's pray that God's peace would be accomplished down in, in Virginia, but let's also pray for the greater work of God's kingdom to go forth through this darkness and to overcome it. So let's pray together. Father, we do come before you saddened by the stories we hear, saddened by the examples of darkness and evil in our world. Lord, we simply start by asking your forgiveness. Forgive us for not understanding one another more. Help us to have that understanding, to understand what it's like to walk in one another's shoes what it's like to, to, to walk in someone's shoes that may look or sound or be different from me. And yet, Lord, help me to acknowledge in that moment the truth that they too were created in the image of God. And that brings an astounding value to their life. Lord, we pray for the leaders of our country and our governments. We pray for peace, that you would work through them. You would humble them that you would give them the ability to, to see through the visceral language 
and understand the opportunity that's there to, to, to be led by you into a place of peace and guiding our country to peace. Father, we pray for the, the families that are already impacted by the violence and the hatred and the, the words that are ripping this country apart. Lord, we know, just as we sang, we, we sang about how great you are, and we trust in that greatness. We trust in you, Lord, that, that the darkness of these stories is not the end of the story, your story. And so, Lord, we, we seek you this morning. We seek your, your will for our lives and how we can be a light in the darkness, even from here in Connecticut. Empower us, Lord, to be your people who are united around Jesus Christ. May we be a church that reflects your glory to the world with our, with our value and our embrace of the truth of your word, with the, the, the compassion and the grace we, we extend to one another, with our love for others, even though they may sound or look or be different from us. Father, I pray that you would quickly squash the violence and the darkness that's going on. But Lord, I ask that you not just work against it, but I pray that you would work through it. That your gospel would go forth. As a result of your gospel going forth, may we have unity, not around some political ideas, but around the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that is Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that you would heal up those broken places in our hearts. Empower us to not sit quietly, but to speak boldly for your truth. May we be a people who extend grace and compassion and understanding where it's so badly needed. Lord, we thank you that we have a chance to gather around your word this morning. And I pray that as we do, that you would liven our hearts to understand it, to embrace it, and to live it out. We thank you that you have given us your word. That as we walk through this world, your word is that reminder that we are not alone. That we have a living God who is active in our lives and through our lives. May we trust in that this morning, regardless of what our circumstances may appear to be. Thank you for your word. May you guide us in this time. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, we're actually going to be wrapping up in the, the book of Daniel, not the whole book of Daniel, but in the part of Daniel that is taking a look at his life uh, from the, the aspect of these narratives, these stories in his life, the, the passages of things that he endured. Uh, next week and in the weeks to come, we'll be looking at uh, the, 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 more of the aspect of where his dreams that God has given him go towards looking toward the future. But at least for today, we want to finish up in the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Now, you may remember from last week that this is a story of a young man, uh, an Israelite living in Judah, who had, along with the rest of the nation, been conquered by the Babylonians, taken off into exile into the land of the Babylonians, so displaced from their homeland, living among unfamiliar people in an unfamiliar land, led by an unfamiliar king. But what's more, time has gone by now where even the Babylonians have been conquered. And now the, the Medes and the Persians are, are ruling the land, and Daniel and his, his fellow Israelites find themselves under the rule and the reign of the Medes and the Persians, King Darius to be specific. What we learn, what we may remember from the story of Daniel is that it matters how we live our lives in exile. 
that, that, that God has called us to live our lives in faithfulness to him, even in the midst of exile, even in the midst of an unfamiliar land and among an unfamiliar people. See, Daniel was an example of Jesus' words. Daniel's life, by the way, is a good example to you and to me how we can be a light in the darkness that is going on in our world. Daniel was an example of Jesus' words in his teaching to his disciples where he said, let your light shine before others in such a way that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In other words, the life that we live should reflect the life of God, should reflect God to others. It should reflect the, the life and love of God to the world around us, not just to you and me as we sit together on Sunday morning, not, not just to the people who may be in our Bible study or in our soul care group, our, our small group community, not just to the people that, that we know from church, but to the world around us, to the people outside the, the, the immediate circle of our influence. Every day, all day, may we let our light shine before others. You see, just like Daniel, you and I, we're, we're kind of living in a land of exile. We're living, we find ourselves living in that place uh, uh, in between when, when Jesus first came, when he was born in a manger, when he lived his life, when he died on the cross, when he defeated death, when he offers us his righteousness because he's defeated death. We live between that moment in time, that moment in history, and when Jesus will one day return and usher in the, the finality of his kingdom. The, the eternity we get to walk with him free from pain and anguish, racism, violence, tears, sickness, sadness. When that day comes, we know we're no longer living in exile. See, Daniel learned what it meant to be faithful and steadfast in character while living in a world and a culture that isn't what he'd been made for. I think we can learn that from him. See, the American dream of, of a secure retirement is not the dream of Jesus' followers. It may be the opportunity for some of Jesus' followers, but it's not our dream. It's not our goal. Our dream is, is our hope in an eternal city. The author of Hebrews talks about it as being uh, one where we're waiting for a better city, a heavenly city, an eternal one. And so as Jesus' followers... We, too, are immigrants living in a foreign land. We're, we're waiting to return to the land that's being prepared for us by Jesus himself. So what we learned from Daniel last week was, was a little of what this looks like, what it, what it means to maintain our, our identity, our, our values, our priorities while we live in that exile. See, so like Daniel, we, too, can cultivate a relationship of faithfulness to God that produces an extraordinary spirit in us, reflects the glory of God. For most of us, though, this extraordinary spirit, it's not cultivated in comfort. See, our world values comfort. It makes it a priority, but that's not necessarily how it works with God's followers, with Jesus' followers. See, if we're not comfortable in this world, well, then maybe we're doing something wrong, right? Car commercials focus on making you want a comfortable, or a car that's designed with safety and comfort in mind. There's a company up in, in Massachusetts that builds furniture, and, and their slogan gets stuck in your head, so I would encourage you not to go looking for this on YouTube or anything like that. Bernie and Phil's Furniture Store, their, 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 their slogan is quality, comfort, and price. That's nice. I can actually hear the music playing in my head right now as I, as I say those words to you. It gets stuck. Quality, comfort, and price. That's nice. Is that really what's nice? Is that really what God wants for his followers? 
Whether it's a, a stay in a hotel or the shoes we wear, the mattresses we sleep on, comfort is certainly an important value of our day and age, our culture, the world we live in. But as followers of Jesus, we're not promised this comfort. We're not always promised that, that comfort is our reality. And, and most often the paths that we walk down toward the goal that God has for us in Jesus Christ, those paths aren't paved with comfort. There's a Russian writer named Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He, he was a writer who wrote during World War, World War I. And he wrote with some critical views of Joseph Stalin. And because of that, he was imprisoned in a Russian internment camp. And while living there he learned to live in the exact opposite of comfort. I don't know if I mentioned he was a Christian, and, and as he lived in that exile of that Russian prison camp, he learned what it meant to, to live in faithfulness to God, to maintain his identity in Christ as he walked with him in faith. See, he actually, as he was liberated from the camp, he gave thanks to God. He blessed God, not just for rescuing him, but for allowing him to live in this place that's the opposite of comfort, in this exile, in the prison camp. He said this when, when he left the camp. He said, what I learned was that the meaning of earthly existence lies not as we have grown used to thinking in prospering, but in the development of the soul. Again, he said, the meaning of earthly existence lies not as we have grown used to thinking in prospering, but in the development of the soul. In other words, our lives should be measured not by how much we have or how secure our futures are, our lives are, or how comfortable we are, but by how much we're growing more and more like Jesus through whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. As we accept our circumstances in exile and trust that God is still in control Working out his plan, we will get to see our soul grow and mature in Christ's likeness. We'll get to see God glorified and his plan fulfilled through our circumstances. See, this is the example I think we see from Daniel's life. Not just that we have hope, but that we have hope that in the midst of our circumstances, God's plan is fulfilled and he is glorified. So as we look at the life of Daniel this morning, as we look at his life with God and his relationship with King Darius, let's pay attention to these things. Let's notice how God is at work in this situation. Daniel's goal in exile was not his comfort, but his faithfulness to God. Let's take a look in the book of Daniel at the rest of his story found in chapter 6 on page, uh, page 744 in the Pew Bibles, but certainly up on the screen as well. Let me read for us verses 19 through 28. Then, at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel was taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. 
And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring. So if we can, pick up in Daniel's story for a moment. Well, let's kind of take a, an inventory of where Daniel is. He's in captivity. He's living in exile in a foreign land. He's under the reign of a foreign king. He's actually in a lion's den, physically in a lion's den. He's serving out a punishment for a a 30-day injunction, which said he couldn't pray to anyone but the king. He's serving out an injunction for, for being faithful to God. See, he's still hanging out in the lion's den when the king rushes up to Daniel right there in the den and starts shouting, Daniel, Daniel, are you okay? Hey, what's going on? Are you there? Did the living God whom you continually serve protect you and rescue you? I don't know about you, but at this point in Daniel's story, I'm kind of thinking that I might be doing a little bit more, shh, king, king, I'm okay. Just hang on a second. Get me out of here first, and I'll tell you all about it. Instead, Daniel actually begins to celebrate while sitting amongst the lions. He doesn't do what I would have done. He does something better. Again, this is an example of Daniel's extraordinary spirit that he could celebrate and give thanks to God even amongst the lions that he had spent the night with. Take another look at the verses here in 21 and 22. Daniel said to the king, O king, Live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Now, again, if faced with the predicament of his situation of being in the pit with the lions, Daniel shouts out to the king, Hey, I'm okay. I'm all right. And what's more, I'm okay because I trusted in God over and, over and against man. And that includes you, king. By the way, live forever. That seems bold to me, to tell the king who has the ability to actually physically lift Daniel out of the pit, give the orders to, to open up the pit and lift him out. That seems bold to me that Daniel would still give God credit for rescuing him. But Daniel's trusting obedience to God and, and his plan in the face of opposition has resulted in Daniel's rescue and God's glory. So I want us to notice something here in the narrative. I want us to notice something here in the story. Notice that the rescue in Daniel's eye has already happened. God didn't keep Daniel from being cast into the lion's den. He saved him and rescued him in the midst of the lion's den. See, God doesn't always keep us from being cast into the lion's den either, does he? See, our our circumstances are not exempt from the same tragedy and evil that plagues the rest of our world. Followers of Jesus, we get sick. Followers of Jesus, we we fight cancer. We, We lose our jobs. We get car accidents. We fight wars. We get in arguments. We're persecuted for our faith. The list can go on and on. We are not exempt from evil in this world. 
Last week when my mom was visiting, on the very first day of her visit, we're standing there, uh, at, like maybe a few hours into her visit, and suddenly realize that her hearing aid is broken. That, that, that she cannot actually hear what's going on. Now, for those of you who understand what it means to experience hearing loss, for those of you who have hearing aids, you know how debilitating this is. <laughs> Not the time I was expecting the amen. Okay, keep up here at the top, thank you. <laughs> Daniel saves the day again. Thank you, Daniel. It's debilitating to, to not be able to hear what's going on, to feel lost and alone, to, to maybe even be afraid of being embarrassed because you're say, you say the wrong thing or you're not tracking with the conversation. It's debilitating, it's scary, it's concerning. Now, I know that it's not life-threatening, but it's one of those moments we recognize, okay, I'm in the lion's den. Last week, when, when we realized that her hearing aid was broken, it, be, it was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Any store that could help us was starting to close down. And what's more, her doctor was in Maryland, and we needed to see a doctor up here. So we were very discouraged. We were very concerned. We were, we were bummed because we were looking forward to this weekend to be able to be together and to be able to catch up and talk about things which we otherwise wouldn't have been able to. But let me just say that had her hearing aid not broken, we wouldn't have seen God's rescue. We wouldn't have seen God's sovereignty. We wouldn't have seen his power. We wouldn't have seen his care for us and for my mom. See, what happened was I started, I Googled hearing aid places. I don't even remember what I said. Oh, I, I Googled hearing aids and her, the manufacturer of her hearing aid. What I came up with was there was a store in Trumbull that could fix it, possibly. But it, it, it wasn't like a doctor. It wasn't like we were going to one of her trusted doctors who we knew would take good care of her and whatnot. It, it was kind of like taking your cell phone into a cell phone store to get it fixed. And, and you're not sure if these people are going to actually fix it, if, if they've been well-trained in the technology or not. You just you didn't know. You were putting your, yourself in someone else's hands. And, and so it was the only place that was going to be open. We had already struck out a few times. This place was going to be open. He, he had a little bit of a window to see us, so we quickly jumped in the car and we drove up to Trumbull. Both my mother and I sat there afraid, like we're thinking, how is this going to turn out? This is a very expensive piece of equipment. Hopefully they can do it. He took a look at it. He stepped out of the room. And I'm sitting there with my mom. She can't hear anything. And yet I could then hear the hearing aids squelch in the hall. Maybe 10 seconds later, 10 seconds after the man walks out of the room, I can hear it squelch. And now I get it. Maybe you don't understand, like, my excitement at this point. But for me, I was overjoyed because I, I thought she was going to have to go home. I, I thought we wouldn't have this quiet weekend together where we can talk once the kids were down to sleep and catch up. But once I heard that hearing aid squelch, I knew that God had done something. The man walks back in. He says, here you go. It's all fixed. And, and again, great, it's fixed, great. But, okay, we'll go check out at the front desk. He goes, no, no, no. You don't have to pay anything. This is my gift to you. Enjoy your weekend. So this man, he not only takes us in, helps fix the hearing aid, doesn't charge my mother anything, and sends us on the way saying, hey, this is my gift to you. Have a great weekend. Now, to me, we were facing a situation which, I get it, it's a hearing aid, it's not your life. But to us, in that moment, it was a moment where there was nothing we could do. We, had, we were at the mercy of, of this man. Really, we were at the mercy of the Lord. God was watching over us, providing for us. 
had her hearing aid not broken, we would not have had the opportunity to see God at work in our lives. To recognize that he was actually protecting us, looking out for us, preparing or providing for us. You see, God doesn't necessarily keep us out of the lion's den. But it's for a purpose. And you better believe that in the midst of the the lion's den, he joins us. Like Daniel's friends in Nebuchadnezzar's furnace, Daniel's not alone. An angel of the Lord joins with him and actually shuts the mouths of the lion all night long. And this is where his rescue occurs. See, Daniel recognizes that his rescue doesn't come when the king arrives and pulls him out of the pit. His rescue arrives when he puts his faith in God and the the angel of the Lord, God's presence with him, protects him in the pit. This is God's promise for all of us who live our lives with God in faith. Listen to what God has promised us through the prophet Isaiah. We read this verse at the end of our service last week, and I just want to highlight it for us again. Isaiah 43 says this, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. See, God doesn't say here that he's going to give us a path around the lion's den. God doesn't promise us a a, a path that will lead us around the waters. He doesn't promise to lead us away from the fire. He doesn't promise us that the circumstance of our lives will always be easy. Your hearing aid will never break. You'll never find yourself in a situation that's discouraging and disappointing. He says that when you pass through the waters, when you you walk through the fire, you will not be overwhelmed. You will not be burned, for he is with you. He is your Savior. See, Daniel testifies that God was with him and that it was God, in fact, who actually saved him. But Daniel also testifies that he was blameless before God, that he trusted God, that he was faithful to God. Daniel put his trust in God rather than in man. The psalmist writes that it's better for us to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And that's exactly what Daniel did. The whole reason he's in this predicament is because he trusted God and served him over and against serving an earthly king. Listen again to what he says in verse 22 and 23 to King Darius. He says, my God sent his angel He shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I've done no harm. Blameless in the sense of faithful obedience. Not just I did the right thing. I trusted you, God, and I obeyed you and followed you. It goes on in verse 23. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. See, what's, what's difficult to me about these verses is, is if we read them prescriptively. In other words, I'm, I'm troubled if we read them as meaning God will always rescue us out of harm's way if we trust in him, that only good will ever happen to us. See, I think we could be more faithful to the rest of God's word and to this passage if we read these verses as Daniel put his trust and his future in God's hands, and in his divine plan, God rescued him. 
I know it sounds a lot very similar, uh, almost as if I'm saying the same thing, but I do think there's a difference between these two verses, or between these two understandings. See, our part of the equation is always to trust God, to say, thy will be done, not my will be done, and then trusting him for the outcome, trusting what he's doing. Consider the life of Abraham for a moment. God promised to bless him, to give him a land as an inheritance, to bless the world through him, and and to make him the father of many, to give him a big family. Abraham trusted him, and yet we know from this side of Abraham's story that Abraham didn't get to see all these promises fulfilled in his life. We have the privilege of seeing history unfold, and over the course of eternity, God be faithful to that promise he gave to Abraham so many years ago. But trusting God for Abraham did not result in the immediate outcome that he had longed for. We certainly know that God was faithful. We see it in King David. King David, as a descendant of Abraham, came and sat on a throne, ruled over a land, maintained a nation of many people that all find their roots in Abraham. Abraham didn't get to see this. See, Abraham's part of the equation was to trust God, and the outcome was up to God. All right, how about, how about we look at Jesus' life? Now, see, just like Daniel, Jesus was captured in his place of prayer. Just like Daniel, he was condemned to death. Just like Daniel, he was found alive early in the morning. Unlike Daniel, he was found with wounds in his hands and his feet with, from his crucifixion, his time in the lion's den. Just like Daniel, he too put his trust in his heavenly father and said, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Trusting God means that we trust his outcome. His plan is fulfilled, and it's the very best for us. See, I have a a sneaking suspicion that if Daniel had been devoured by those lions, he still would have said the same things he said to King Darius. He, He still would have given God credit for rescuing him and given thanks to God when he stood before his Savior. I, I, I had this sneaking suspicion that, that he would have said the same thing because earlier in the book of Daniel, something very similar is said. You remember when Daniel's friends were standing before King Nebuchadnezzar and threatened with being thrown into the fiery furnace and being killed, his friends say this to King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 3, they say, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the the golden image that you have set up. See, their faith was, was in God, whether he rescued them from their immediate circumstances or not. And so it is with Daniel. Daniel was obedient, not because God rescued him, but because Daniel trusted God, and then God rescued him. It's almost as if saying, hey, Daniel was called to be faithful to God, whether Daniel was devoured by the lions or not. That's what it means to be faithful in exile. Daniel's story continues in verse 24 of chapter 6. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the lion's den, or into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. 
And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. This verse reminds me of a time when I was younger and, and fishing. We were in the Smoky Mountains, and I, I, uh, I thought, hey, I'd, I'll be like one of those cool fishermen. I'll, I'll walk into the river a little bit and, and cast my line in. And, I, you know, I'd been fishing for a little while and thought I'd try something new. So I did. Didn't catch anything. Stood there a little bit longer and said, you know, what? I'm going to move down the river a little bit. So I climbed down the riverbank, walked down, cast my line in again, looked back down the river, and wouldn't you know it, right where I had been standing, this the water snake crossed the water right where I was. Now, I'd seen the, the movie Lonesome Dove. I think it's Lonesome Dove. That was when I was younger. I've seen those scenes where these poisonous water snakes attack. I don't know if the snake was poisonous or not, to be honest with you, but I hate snakes. They terrify me, and so I believe that that was a poisonous snake. And, and, and you better believe when I looked and I saw that snake cross the water, I gave thanks to God because I knew he had rescued me from very serious peril. By the grace of God, as I look over my shoulder, I see his rescue. As Daniel steps out of the den and, and the conniving leaders are put in, the lions destroy those leaders. As Daniel steps out and looks back down the river, he sees the danger that God had rescued him from. Now, the Old Testament talks about punishment. God's own word gives direction to God's people about punishment, almost like an, an eye for an eye. But it also says that, that God will not punish sons for the, the sins of the father, nor the father for the sins of the son, that each person will be held accountable for their own sin. And so this passage strikes us a little bit shocking, right? That, that the whole family would be thrown into the midst. Apparently, it was the custom of the Persians to take it one step further and actually punish the entire family, not just the person who committed the wrong. But if we get caught up in the grotesqueness of this moment, then I think we miss the point. Because I think the, the point of this passage, the point of this verse, the, this part of the story, is not so much the greatness of the evilness of man, but the greatness of God's rescue, the power of our God. Those lions, they devoured the evil leaders before they even hit the bottom of the pit, and yet they did not lay a paw on Daniel. We know that those lions were not fighting some tummy bug. They weren't just tired and not hungry. They hadn't just eaten a feast. When we look back and we see how ferocious they were for the evil man or the evil men, we see how great God had rescued Daniel from the danger that was before him. See, our circumstances they turn out for God's glory when we live with hope and faithfulness in his power, in his sovereignty. So far, Daniel has given testimony to King Darius about God's power and his protection. But now Darius has seen God's power for himself. He's seen what, God's, what Daniel's God has saved Daniel from. In verse 26 and 27, we get a chance then to hear what King Darius has to say. Let, take a look at these verses with me as we read along in the passage. King Darius says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions... 
See, this, this statement from King Darius just agreeing, it isn't just King Darius just agreeing with Daniel. He, he's not just saying, wow, look at that. That's, that's interesting. That's, let's, let's take note of that. Now, what, what, when Daniel was to be thrown into the lion's den, King Darius realized that he was, he was powerless to save Daniel. Remember, he, he knew there was nothing he could do to save Daniel. And so he, 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 he condemns Daniel to death, but leaves him at the mercy of Daniel's God, whom he continually serves. King Darius realized the limit of his earthly power. He came to the end of himself. And then when Daniel was pulled out of the lion's den and the evil leaders are destroyed by these lions, he realized that God's power and control and plan kept going. So this decree is much more than a statement of wow and amazement. This is a, a statement of belief. This is a confession of faith. This is so much more than a temporary injunction telling his people that they can only pray to the king. This is a, a declaration that isn't temporary or limited by time, but, but one that would change the religious practices of an entire nation. It was like writing into the religious constitution of the the nation. See, through Daniel's circumstances, through his faithfulness to God, a whole nation was exposed to the sovereignty and control and care of his God. Now, I'm not saying that all of a sudden King Darius and the rest of the Persians began to practice a right relationship with God. Most likely, they had many gods and, uh, that they worshipped, and, and Darius was simply saying that, that, that Daniel's God was going to be one of their gods that they would worship. But notice what he actually says about Daniel's God. Notice what he says. He says he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He's not some God built by human hands, but a God who is active, living and active, and saving and rescuing his people. He'll perform signs and wonders and miracles to see his plan for his people, his dominion over his creation fulfilled. The God we worship this morning, he's living, living and active. He's at work in our lives. He's at work in this world. He's at work in the lives of the people to deliver and rescue them this very moment. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the midst of reading about these situations in Virginia or, or in our relationship with North Korea or whatever's going on around the world, the, the famines in Africa, the very serious situations that are unfolding before us, do you believe that God is living and active and at work right now? King Darius saw it. He, he may not have fully understood it, but he saw it and believed it enough to make it a part of his nation's religion. He saw it because Daniel was faithful to God in the midst of some very dire circumstances. And you know what? God was glorified. This story in the life of Daniel reminds me of the life of Joseph as well. Daniel shared a lot in common with Joseph. Joseph, too, was thrown into a pit by some evil men, yet he was pulled out unscathed. Joseph, too, was sent into exile and lived under the reign of a foreign king in a foreign land. Joseph, too, was faithful to God in all of his circumstances and was found to be wise before the king. God was glorified through Joseph's circumstances as well, and God's plan for his people progressed. But one of my favorite moments in Joseph's life came toward the end of his story when he's facing his brothers who had sold him off into slavery. 
At this point, they're standing before Joseph, and they're terrified because their father has died, Jacob has died, and they're expecting for Joseph to enact some sort of revenge on them. But that's not what Joseph does. Instead, he says this. He says in Genesis chapter 50, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, Daniel and Joseph's God has the ability and the power to take our our painful circumstances, our difficulties, our challenges, and redeem them for his good. This this is the hope of God's people. This is the hope that we learn from Daniel. Our hope is that we know God has a better ending than that he's written for our stories than we could even imagine. We, we, we hope in the fact that even though we can't see outside of our circumstances, God is at work moving our lives in the direction of fulfilling his plan along with the rest of his people. This is the hope of God's people. Our hope is in the God who doesn't have a limited power. Our hope is in the, the living God who's active in the lives of his people, exercising his power to take what's meant for evil and using it for good in the lives of his people. For Joseph, Daniel, and even for Jesus, faithfulness in their circumstances turned what man meant for evil into God's good. And God intends to do that in your life and in mine. You know, how often are we not able to see or recognize the work God's doing in our lives? How, How often are we unfamiliar with those moments in our lives where we can acknowledge that God had a hand in orchestrating the circumstances of our lives? How often are we like King Darius, kind of catching up to realizing, along with Daniel, how God has been at work in our circumstances all along? How how many of you have had circumstances like mine when I was fishing in that river, and yet maybe neglected to look back and see how God had rescued us from some dire circumstances? Can I encourage you this morning to practice maybe something a little bit differently today? Not just today, but, but make it a part of your, your regular routine. I want to encourage you to take about 10 minutes at the end of your day to spend time with God in prayer just a little bit differently. I want you to take those 10 minutes, not, not just giving thanks for your day and praying that God would give you a good night of sleep. I want you to take those 10 minutes to reflect on your day. What are you thankful for? Where did you see God at work in a conversation or a relationship? Where did you see God provide for you? Maybe, maybe even this, maybe it's a chance to reflect on, on, on a moment in your day where maybe you felt distant from God. Some things were going on and you kind of wondered, God, where are you in this? See, if we don't take the time to look back, we won't see what God has done to move his plan forward. And how he has been faithful to us. Take that time to reflect at the end of your day. This practice is not meant to to, to just give us another reason to pray for 10 minutes. It's a practice meant to develop in us an awareness that our God is living and active. He's not some wooden statue. He's at work in our lives. And if he's at work in our lives, he's at work in the lives of his other followers as well around the world. See, we worship the living God who delivers his people. He redeems their circumstances for good. He'll reign over his kingdom forever. And as we give testimony to this faithfully in our circumstances, he will be glorified.
Like Joseph, as we testify to God's work in our lives, no matter how dire our situation, God will use it to bring to life many people, just as he brought many people to life through Joseph's circumstances. As we close our time together this morning in God's word in the life of Daniel, I want to invite the worship team to come forward. As the worship team comes forward, I want to close our time sharing a little story with you about a man named Eric Liddell. Now, I, I get a number of us may actually know who Eric Liddell was. He, he was uh, an Olympic runner, a Scottish Olympic runner. He competed in the 1924 Olympics in Paris. Eric Liddell was a follower of Christ as well. And, and so when he found out that his best race was going to compete on Sunday morning, he, he regretfully withdrew from his very best race. Now, many people wondered what he was doing, why he would give up such glory to spend time worshiping God. But Eric served God over man. And so he made the choice to, to then compete in an event that was harder for him, longer distance, one that he hadn't been training for but now would have to train for in advance of the Olympics. And so instead of racing on a Sunday morning, he ran his race on a Tuesday morning against, against runners who had been training all their lives for this. You know what happened? He won his race. Not only did he win his race, but he set an Olympic record for the fastest run of the 400-meter one of the things Eric Liddell is famous for saying is, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Living faithfully before God, he senses the glory he brings to God. He feels pleasure in glorifying God in doing and being who God made him to be. But ultimately, Eric is known in the halls of eternity for something even better. He's known for the life he lived. He, uh, he actually said something else that I think is even more profound. He said this. He said, In the dust of defeat, as well as in the laurels of victory, there is a glory to be found in doing one's best. Uh, again, in the dust of defeat, as well as in the laurels of victory, there is glory to be found in doing one's best. In other words, a life lived in faithfulness to God and to who he created us to be will always result in glory, regardless of how our circumstances turn out. After his Olympic glory, Eric went on to pursue a more eternal glory. By the way, his Olympic record lasted for like 12 years and then was bested by someone else. See, after, he, after the Olympics, Eric went on to become a missionary to China and served in China during World War II as a missionary. And as the war waged on and the Japanese took control of the area, Eric sent his wife and his daughter out of the area. It sent them to, back to Scotland hopefully to a safer place. And shortly after that, he was captured and imprisoned in a Japanese internment camp. Now, this again, like Alexander Solzhenitsyn, was the exact opposite of comfort. In conditions that were dire and, and unclean and unhealthy and poor medical care, no matter how bleak his situation got, Liddell served tirelessly with Bible studies, preaching sermons, and caring for the other prisoners. He served God faithfully and poured his life into others. And when he died, there was a significant loss felt by everyone in the camp. See, Eric let his light shine before others that they may see his good works and give glory to God. But now this light is gone. 
Eric's legacy remained, and what was remembered about Eric was his faith in God and his love for others. Listen to what one of his fellow prisoners journaled and secretly kept hidden in his mattress. He wrote shortly after Eric died, It leaves me shocked and bewildered. His passing has stunned us. We could hardly believe it was true. We confided in him, went to him for advice. We looked on him as probably the most perfect and honorable Christian friend we had ever known. He was loved by everyone. And this guy says this. He says, it's my prayer that I may live like Eric, a life that's exemplary, lovely, useful, and full of caring service to others. I get it. It's, it's, it's possible we may have missed that. But, but did you notice that? Other prisoners, they wanted to live like Eric, who, guess what, was living like Jesus. Thereby, other prisoners want to live like Jesus too. A plus B equals C. When we live our lives in Christ before others, when we let our light shine and let them see our good works that they may give glory to God, we invite others into that relationship with Jesus where God is glorified even more. May we too be faithful in our circumstances and leave a legacy of Christ-likeness on others as Eric Liddell did and as Daniel did. Whether they're fellow prisoners or kings of nations, whether they're rescued from the mouths of lions or devoured by the lions and welcomed into glory with God, may we too let our light shine before others so they may see our good works and give glory to God. May we live our lives in such a way that the people around us are led to declare God as the living God, just as King Darius did. As King Darius declared the power and the provision and the care and the rescue of God and his eternal reign, may we too declare our hope and our belief in the living God. This, this is our hope, that our circumstances will result in his glory as we continually place our lives in his hands through faith. So let's do that. Let's declare our faith together in this living God. Let's stand together and declare together that we believe in this God who is living and active, willing to rescue and save his people, whether it's in this world or the next. May we put our faith in him. May we let our light shine before others and give glory to him. Let's declare our faith in God together and serve him continually.